Y'all okay? Just give me a second. Would you come for a second? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to ask my wife just to share very briefly. Uh, my, my wife and I are missionaries in the nation of Greece, live in the city of Athens. And uh, I just wanted her to greet you real fast. Uh, sometimes I, when we were itinerating, it was just me, but I wanted her, you know, you know us. And I wanted just to kind of tell you a little bit about our kids in school and our, maybe some of our neighbors that we've met and just about Greece for a second. Okay. Put me on the spot. Good morning. It's so good to be here with some of our family today this morning. Um, and we're just so grateful for this church. We had someone recently ask us, who is your favorite supporting church? And without hesitation, we said Oak Grove Harvest. Because not only do you support us financially, but you feel like a piece of our family. So thank you so much for keeping us on the field with your prayers and your finances. Um, we've been back in Greece for about a year and a half now. And um, the Lord has been so good to us. Our kids are thriving in school. Carter is now in fourth grade. And he is speaking English and Greek and Spanish. And Addie is in second grade, and she's doing incredible. She started volleyball this year. And Chloe is also in school, and you wouldn't believe it. She's three and a half years old, but she's already speaking Greek. Um, she has amazed us, and she has blossomed socially. Um, the Lord has been so sweet to us. He gave us this incredible house. We prayed for some very specific things when we moved back to Greece, and the Lord just ticked every single box. Um, the greatest surprise of moving into this building was we met a family that lives two floors below us um, who also have three children. I often feel um, in Greece like a, um, I feel like an oddball because we have three kids. Most people only have one child, maybe two, but typically one child. So when someone sees me and how young I am and the fact that I have three kids, they're like, what? You're crazy. So when we met this family, I told her, I'm so happy to be your friend because you have three kids and we're not, we, we can be weird together. Mm -hmm. um, but the Lord has been so good in um, building the relationship with our neighbors. He's given our kids some of their best friends every weekend. They're in and out of our house with their friends. Um, and it's been a really sweet time to just be with them um, in a more cultural aspect. You know, we're not just doing church, but we're really getting to know more of the culture by spending time with our neighbors. Um, and Kenan has had some real sweet opportunities to share about um, faith with uh, the, the husband of the, 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 the dad of the family, who is a very devout Orthodox Christian. And so um, we're really hopeful and excited to see what the Lord does with this relationship. Um, we've had, um, yeah, a year and a half of loving on the church that God put before us. And um, we're excited for what 2024 holds. We really feel like God is getting ready to do something incredible um, within our ministry. And, um, yeah, we're excited. Thank you. Um, this morning I want to share on the disruption of Christmas. This is what I've titled it. Um, I love when the Lord works things together almost seemingly in unison. Uh, there's a term called gregariousness. Uh, you know when birds fly up in the air and you look up and they're formed like a little triangle, like a little arrow, and they're flying together? That's a, that's a form of gregariousness where something happens and it's collectively working together. You don't always know why, 
But often in the spirit world, we see things working together. We can't explain them. That to say this morning um, that the Lord has already begun through some of the, um, even when Brother Mike was sharing after the first song, I thought he's going to preach my message today. He started it, so I could have just dismissed now. But uh, And then the word that came out, the first one, was was about disruption or trials or tribulations and things that are coming. And it just feels like that this morning the Lord has something for us. And I think that he's doing it uh, collectively. I don't think it's for one person. I think it's for us as the body of Christ. But uh, I want to talk about that this morning, the disruption of Christmas. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Beginning in verse 18, we're going to read through verse 25. If you don't have your Bible, you can get your binoculars out and look here at the screen. Sorry. Beginning in verse 18 of Matthew 1 says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Let's pray this morning. God, we ask that your words continue to be true today. They've never been false in the past. They've never been uh, let us down before. And Jesus, we know that as we lean into your word this morning, that it provides truth. It's an active word. It's alive and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. We ask this morning, Holy Spirit, to do the work of dividing even down into the marrow of our own souls this morning and bringing forth a fruit that will last. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, as this season comes about, I can't help but think about the Christmas traditions. Uh, I come from a family that has traditions, and I married into a family that has traditions. And what I found out is that the marriage, the unison of marriage, throws a wrench into your Christmas plans. Can anybody say amen this morning? You got your things you do on your certain days. Your wife or your husband has their things they do with their family. And the two of you come together and all of a sudden you start arguing about Christmas. You argue about Thanksgiving, you argue about Easter, whatever it is. You know what I mean. It brings brings about a bit of a division into our plans. And eventually you have to find a happy medium or an unhappy medium. And you grudge through it and you get through the season together. I'm joking. You make a way to get through the season together. The season is more important than our plans, but the traditions bring about a little bit of change. I was thinking about these traditions, and as we flew back into the States and uh, jet-lagged and feeling like it was four o'clock in the morning, we began to drive uh, 
to Amanda's family's house where we're staying, uh, I saw the Christmas lights and I um, was once again reminded of the season. Not that I had forgotten, and not that we don't celebrate in Greece, but I saw the lights on all the houses. And uh, I was just thinking about this tradition that we celebrate. Um, and it m- reminded me of this story. And uh, this, this year, I was, as I was reading and thinking about what to speak about, I, re- of course, read the Christmas story, read the birth, the announcement of Jesus in, up until his birth. And as I read it this year, I thought, I don't know if I've ever understood the weight of this story. Do you ever read the, the Bible honestly? Do you know what I mean? Sometimes we read it um, maybe traditionally, we read it through our religious eyes, but sometimes we can read it with our heart. And when we do that, we say, oh my goodness, what is this story about? And I thought about this and thought, let's think about this story in 2023. Joseph and Mary were engaged to be married. They weren't quite married. She ends up pregnant, but Joseph isn't the father. And my first thought is, how do you explain this to your parents? Right? Bible tells us that she's young. How do you explain this one? We didn't do anything. I just ended up this way. Right? It's an interesting story. (laughs) Of the ways I can think of Jesus to enter into the earth, this one isn't in my top five. It's not in my top hundred. In fact, if God would have asked me, I could have given him some good ways in which he could have sent Jesus. He didn't ask me. Some ways that were more sociably acceptable. But he didn't ask me, and it's probably because it's not my story or our story collectively. It's his story, right? The entrance of Jesus through disruption into the lives of this young Jewish couple, Mary and Joseph. And they now had this task that all of us would feel unworthy to bear. They had to raise the Messiah, the promised one. And their lives would forever be dictated by the good news they had received. In Luke chapter 1, verses 31, says, You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. That's also the lineage of Joseph, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. I have to think in that moment as Joseph and Mary, once they collectively understood what was happening, they had to feel exhausted a little bit. You had to feel a little bit worried, perhaps, that Jesus would be brought up into your own home under your watch. How, what would happen if you lost the Son of God? Well, they did that. They were very worried. What would happen if he falls and hurts his leg? What would happen if he jumps out of a nine-foot tree and lands on his feet? You'd be concerned. And Mary and Joseph would forever have this reminder that Jesus was with them and that things would never be the same. Why is that? Well, because he was a child and he was in their home. Why the incarnation? Why did God have to become flesh? Well, the Old Testament teaches us that through disobedience, a wall of division was made between man and God. That sin had entered the heart of mankind and forever seared the perfect relationship that was supposed to be. But that through the kindness of God, he created a way that sin could be atoned for, that sin could be relieved. It was only through the sacrifice of a slain animal that the sin's toll could be forgiven. It required blood 
to be forgiven. You understand that part, right? It's strange to us. We don't, we didn't grow up Jewish. Well, I didn't. I don't know if there's a lot of Jews in Fred. Sounds Jewish. But this story is a little foreign to me in that blood was required for a sacrifice, but I understand it. I understand what it costs. But here's the thing. It wasn't enough. Man's heart grew ever increasingly wicked and the sacrifice for sins somehow became a ritual and a tradition instead of a moment of holy grief. A moment where we say, God, I'm so sorry that I've sinned against you and I'll pay the price. It somehow became tradition instead. God decided at just the right time, however, in history that Jesus would become flesh. And Jesus took on flesh and blood to be that perfect eternal sacrifice for the wages of sin. Jesus actually reminded us at his death that the sacrifice cost him something. This time it wasn't the blood of a spotless lamb metaphorically, but it was the literal flesh and the literal blood of the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus embodied living flesh so that we could see that he has personality that God has character, that God feels, that God loves, and that God grieves just like we do. Jesus being born as a baby put God into a relatable character that we all could imagine. He had to grow, and he had to learn, and he had to express emotion. Jesus did all of these things, but he didn't stay as a child. If you go to Greece and you go to the Orthodox churches, you can walk in and one of the biggest pictures they'll have is a picture of the Virgin Mary with a halo around her head and she's glowing. And they have on her lap a little tiny baby with a big head. And that's Jesus. I don't know why he has a big head. Maybe he did. But it's interesting. They also believe in the resurrected Savior, but they make a very big deal about his birth and they make a very big bigger deal about Mary. If you've been to a Catholic church or grew up Catholic, maybe you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of emphasis on it. But we read a little bit of that New Testament. You see, he didn't stay a child. He grew and he became a man. He recruited 12 around him to share with him and to take his message to the rest of the world. You see, Jesus disrupted the lives of 12 young men and he forever altered their course of history. And what happened to them? Well, one betrayed him. We know that story. But even with Judas, listen this morning, his life was forever disrupted by the entrance of Jesus into his life. The others ultimately gave their lives for the sake of the gospel, but, jo but Judas was not unloved. Judas was not uncared for. Jesus knew what Judas was going to do, yet he looked on him and he loved him. What does that mean? Well, it means that even the worst of our sins can't keep us from that love of Jesus. That's the good news. The other 11 gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Their own lives were considered expendable. Why? Because Jesus had changed everything. He wasn't just a God of theory. He was a God of practicality. He lived among them and he, he did miracles. He healed the lepers. He cleansed the spots of those that were sick and he brought healing into their lives. They saw it. Jesus changed everything. Jesus took on flesh. One reason is so that he could experience exactly what we feel. 
No other God in history became flesh. Not Allah, not any other God or any other deity. No creator God ever came down to earth and said, I will become a sacrifice. It never happened before. It'll never happen since. Why do we experience pain and loss and difficulties? Well, in one sense, you get to feel exactly what God feels. That might not be so relieving for you this morning, but it's truth. I was thinking about that this morning, thinking about it this week and this month as I've been thinking about Christmas, that Jesus became flesh. What did that mean for us? And in some way, we get to see what it's like to grieve because God grieves. In some ways, we get to see what it's like to love because God is love. In some ways, we get to see hope because God is hope. And in Jesus becoming flesh, he gave us an example of what that looks like. He became real. He was real flesh and blood. It's important to remember that. We all experience pain and loss and difficulties, but it points ultimately to God himself. Christmas means that Jesus has come down to find us. It was promised way back in Genesis, and the entrance of sin on earth was met ultimately with a promise. That's the love of God. Genesis 3.15 says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Jesus coming to earth fulfilled the prophecy of God given in the garden. The heel being struck took place on the cross, but in doing so, the head of Satan was crushed forever. And the power of sin was broken by the cross. And Jesus showed up and he found us. It's different than any other religion on earth. All other religions is based on this idea that if we search far enough and if we knock loud enough, and if we cry out and if we cut ourselves and if we make him notice us, perhaps he will see us. Remember that story in the Old Testament? Elijah, Elisha and, and the prophets came about and they said, let's call on the God that, that is real and, and perhaps he'll come down and answer. And, and they cried out louder and louder and they cut themselves and they, and they did this whole show. And what did he say? Maybe he's asleep. Maybe you need to ring that bell a little bit louder, brother. <laughs> but then he prayed a simple prayer. God sent down fire, and he showed that he's the real God. All other religions is based on this idea that it's man's attempt to find God, that if we do something right, we can get him to notice us. But Christianity, being Christ-like, is entirely different in that God came down for us. Right? We know that. It's the father in the prodigal son's story. It's the woman with the lost coin. It's the shepherd with the lost sheep. You know something I, my, one of my pastors in, in university reminded me? He said, do you think that coin ever felt lost? You know the story? It's in Luke chapter 15. It's the parable of the lost things. It's a lost coin. It's a lost sheep. It's a, it's a lost son. And he said, do you think that coin felt lost when it was lost? I said, no, no, probably not. He said, think a little bit farther. You think that, that sheep, it probably knew a little, little bit it was lost, but do you think it really grieved that it was lost? I said, probably not. He said, think about that son. He knew he was lost. He said, but think about the stories. 
Who really felt the burden of the lost thing? It's the person that was searching. It's the person that was looking. And the scripture teaches us that God is the father in the prodigal son story. That God is the woman that's searching for the lost coin. God is the shepherd that's looking after the lost sheep. Who's the one that's grieving? It's the heart of God. We feel that we're lost. We feel when our family doesn't love Jesus. We feel when our world is broken and our state doesn't love God like it should. But it's God's heart that's broken over the lost thing. His attempts to find us are far greater than our attempts to do life without him. Can we do it alone? Well, absolutely we can. But eventually we'll find ourselves dissatisfied with life. The money's not enough. The promotion isn't enough. The house isn't big enough. The car isn't fast enough. The boat isn't shiny enough. The gun's not loud enough. Can I get an amen? (laughs) You know what I mean. But God gives us this gift of salvation. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we give gifts. It's to remind us of what those wise men brought. They brought these gifts to a king. It's a precious gift. But like a gift, you can't have it unless you receive it. That makes sense? Is it valuable? Absolutely. Does it cost you anything? Well, to receive it, it doesn't. But it will cost you. It'll cost you your reputation, your lifestyle, your habits, your routines, the people you hang out with, the things you listen to, the things you watch and see. But the good news is it's already been paid for. You just have to receive it. Right? Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. We're no longer orphans is what the scripture is saying. We've been adopted into the family of God. This is necessary because the law was a reflection of the heart of God, but we needed a savior. The law wasn't enough. We needed someone to come and to die. We needed a a way of atonement so that we could have perfect relationship with God again. And Romans 8, 1 through 4 tells us how. Therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned his own son in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This flesh and spirit and flesh connection happens in every single one of our lives that are saved. It happens at salvation. It's a moment of realization that there is a God who is real. And since he's real, I should probably listen to what he has to say. But that moment of spirit entering flesh causes a disruption even unto our own lives. It changes the way we act and think. And the things that we used to love are no longer interesting as they once were. Is that a testimony for some of you today? Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a Jewish tax collector. It says he was a high uh, tax collector. He was very rich. He was despised by all. He was welcomed by none. And when he sits down at your table, you say, can I get the check, please? 
Jesus looked at him in the middle of a crowd and he singled him out. He said, Zacchaeus, hiding up in the tree, come down for today I'm going to your house. I'm showing up to your residence. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be with a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus looked across all of those who were present and saw the one that needed him the most. That's the Christmas story. That's the salvation story. That's why the cross. Jesus brought salvation to Zacchaeus' house because Jesus is salvation. Did you catch that? He says, today salvation has come to this house. It's, a, it's some grammar present part of something. I mean, we're learning language in, in Greek, and they always say, well, what's the present participle of that? And I said, I didn't even know there was a thing. I grew up in Silsby just down the road. You don't feel dumb till you try to learn a new language. And then they start asking you questions about your own language, and you're like, I don't know. Aren't you a native speaker? Well, I am, but I don't know any of the rules. What's that in the reflective tone? I didn't know there was a reflective tone. I think that's a mirror. Jesus is our salvation. And Jesus brought salvation to Zacchaeus because he showed up. He went after him and he saw him. And he found the one that needed him and he saw him. Likewise, in the same way, he wants to enter your house today. You won't leave it the same. C.S. Lewis tells this beautiful story. C.S. Lewis is an old dead guy, author, Chronicles of Nardia, some of those books if you've ever heard them or seen the movies. But he tells a story, and he says, when you ask Jesus to come in, you ask him to fix the sewage. You ask him to fix the gutters and the pipes. And then he starts repairing some of the leaky, leaky roofs, 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 roofs. You start fixing some of the things that cover your top of your house. And you might say to him, well, I expected you to do some of those things. But C.S. Lewis goes on to say, he says the next thing he does surprises you because he goes to the big bedrooms and he starts knocking out the walls. And he starts putting up a courtyard. And you say, hang on a second. I asked you to fix the gutters, and the roof was nice, but why are you tearing out my walls? And he says, don't you know? This place is not a cottage anymore. It's a palace because the king is moving in. What was the proof that Zacchaeus had changed? Well, the things that he loved and that he worshipped the most no longer mattered. His money a chief tax collector. He was skimming money from his own people, being loyal to Rome like he should be, but stealing from those that were less fortunate. 
But all of a sudden, he said, Lord, I don't care about those things anymore. The value of money was lost for him because he found the value to be greater in someone else. Jesus is greater than our stuff. He's greater than our job, our security, our home. He's greater than our wealth, our physique. What does that mean? Well, it means that he has to take the place of value in our lives. It's his rightful place, but he asked for it. What a gentleman. It's the only way to live. And it's the only way we find life. All other efforts other than full surrender lead us to death. He's greater. Each of us that are saved has an origin story of how God met us. But it doesn't end there. And since Jesus moved into our hearts, it's changed forever who we are. We become like him in spirit. And we become like him in his desires. God's heart is for the lost around us that they might have access to the gospel and to know him. Scripture says that he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but for everyone to come to repentance. That means that we have to gently disrupt the lives of those around us. Did you catch that? We have to gently disrupt the lives of those around us, not through anger or judgment, not through comparison, but through the personality of Jesus. We simply introduce people to the king and we let him establish his kingdom in their hearts. I want to tell you one way we're doing that right now in Greece. If you can put that next picture up. On the left there, there's a sign with a question in red at the top. And then all the other things are responses. It's in Greek if you can't read it. It's small, I know, but it's in the Greek language. And behind that is a little coffee uh, pot and some cups and some sugar. It's a simple little setup. And on the right there is kind of with some students around. Um, We go to the university campus and we set this table up with a question that says something, anything really, about culture, language, heart, something, question. It's really just a primer to get people to stop. And then we give out free coffee just in case they don't want to answer the question. So one way we get people to stop. It doesn't matter how. And we ask these questions and people will come in and say, why are you giving free coffee? And we said, do you not like free coffee? And they say, well, I do. We said, well, there you go. (laughs) And we found that people will come back week after week to answer the question. And one time a guy that I'm working with said, why do you keep coming back to the table every week? And he said, the guy looked at him and said, because this is the only place I can have real conversation. My friends don't want to have real conversation. They're too silly. They're too, they won't get serious about things. But when I come here, we can have real conversation. So I'll come back every week. Sometimes we have students waiting there in the spot Tuesday at 11 because we showed up a few minutes late. But it really just stimulates interaction, which gets to conversations, which can lead us to Jesus. I want to show you one more picture. This was the first day that we set up. This doesn't always happen. It hasn't actually happened since like this. But this student came. He was an older student. And he had come back to get his second degree because uh, he had gotten a degree. He got a job, found out he didn't really like where the job was going. And this basically they said, if you want to do anything else, you got to go back and get another degree. So he said, I'll go back and get a degree. I met him on campus. And we began to talk about life. And I asked him why he was wanting to change jobs, all of these things. 
And ultimately, it got to the heart of the issue. And he said, I, I, I see the world around me is broken, and I want to create a, a place where people can feel safe to come in. And I just took the cues the Holy Spirit gave me, and I said, what do you think it means to be safe? And that led into another conversation. And I said, where do you think that idea comes from of safety, where of value, of, of purpose? Where do you think all those things come from? And he had some answers that were interesting. And, and ultimately, I said, I, I believe that, that there's a reason that we came here. There's an origin story. And that we also have purpose. And that we also have <clears throat> a destiny. After this life, there's something else. And he said, those are interesting thoughts. Where do you get those? And I said, let me pull out my phone here. I got a little app on here. It's called the Bible. And that's actually what I was doing. <laughs> We're walking through the Bible. And at the end, he said, you sure know a lot about these scripture things. And I said, well, I try. I spend every day reading it. <clears throat> <clears throat> this student was looking for hope. He was looking for truth. And I just happened to be there passing out some coffee with a question of the day. It's not always like that. I don't always get to have that conversation that leads to Jesus. But I have found that the little bit of discomfort of being out on a university campus where I'm 15, 18 years older than most of the students puts a little tension in my life. But it's healthy tension. It's like weightlifting. You ever been to the gym? You ever been back to the gym after that? Like, I don't like this. It hurts. I lift these weights and it makes my arms sore. I can't lift anything. But it's that tension that we keep building. And eventually that grows into a muscle. And that muscle can get stronger. And the more that we use it, the bigger they can get and the more useful they become. In the same way, I think God has put some of us in tense moments. He's put us with a little disruption in our life. And we're trying to get out of it. And God's saying, stay in the boat for a little bit. I'm trying to develop something in you. Don't leave the gym after a week. Stay and go back the second week. Grow a little stronger. Wait a little longer. Sounds like a song. But if we can hang on and weather that storm and allow Jesus to develop something within us, it'll help us to, do, to grow even closer to him. I go out on a university campus. I'm in Greece. You don't have to do that. If you want to, I'll let you come do it. Okay? But you can do something here in Fred. You can do something in Sperger and Vider and wherever you want to go and do that, wherever you work wherever you're called to. But don't just sit in your comfortable life, if I can lovingly say so, in our nice homes, with the comforts and joys of America, and watch the people around us die and go to hell. We can't keep doing it. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm, bl I'm talking to myself. But as we grow in our love for Jesus, it should grow in our compassion for his heart. And as we get closer to his heart, he begins to open up our spiritual blinders, if you will, to see the world around us that's broken and that's lost and that's hurting. And at some point we say, God, I can't let my brother or my sister not know about you. So I want to give them an opportunity. And that can mean just inviting them. Maybe they won't come to church. Invite them to your house. Bite them out for coffee. Go for some catfish or something.
but live in that tension for a little bit and allow that disruption of spirit and flesh that has come together at that moment of salvation to continue to grow. That disruption moment that caused us to know that there is a Jesus, allow that, that friction or that tension that we feel within us to be a moment of growing in our faith, growing in our understanding, growing in our love, so that we can see those around us come to know him. Where are we today, this morning, as I close? Where do we find ourselves in this grand scheme of the story? Are we like Zacchaeus, more like the, or more like the Pharisees, who say he eats even with sinners? The disruption of Christmas reminds us of the great love of God. And it's not all bad news. Our surrender to Christ leads us to victory. To lose our life in Jesus means we find ourselves. The gift of Christmas means that we get Jesus. We get life and freedom and new hope. And we also get to take on the burden of the Lord to make sure that all get a chance to hear. I am called to do that in the city of Athens in the country of Greece. You are called to do that here in Fred and Sperger and Warren and the surrounding cities. Are we sharing this wonderful, beautiful, priceless gift of eternal life? Have we truly received this gift? And have things changed since we met Jesus? If not, maybe we haven't actually met the real Jesus. And that's what we need to do today. This Christmas, let's make sure that the gift of Jesus is present, not only underneath our trees and the presence and wealth that we have, but we want to make sure that he's present in our own lives. He's present in our compassion to tell the world that God loves them. Amen. Let's stand this morning. I'm going to ask if everyone will close their eyes for a second with your heads bowed. I just want to ask this morning if you've come in here today and you say, I have not been living for Jesus and I want to know him. Would you just slip your hand up for a second? I want to pray with you. Is there anybody here this morning that says, I haven't been living for God and I want to live for him today? Is there anybody? Amen. Well, I'm going to pray for you this morning. Jesus, you're the gift of eternal life. You're the gift of love and compassion. So, Jesus, we surrender to you this morning. I pray, Lord, that today as I have spoken, that your word has been made alive in our hearts today, God. It's not about the words I'm saying, Lord, but it's about your spirit. It's about your presence. It's about your care, your love. Your peace, Lord, you bring peace. You're the reason for the season. And so, Jesus, we want to make sure that our hearts are fixed on you, God. We want to make sure that we have you in our hearts today, first and foremost. And secondly, Lord, this morning, we want to make sure that we're being aware of those around us that are hurting, that are lost, that are in need, and that we are not ignoring them because we feel a little discomforted. We want to make sure this morning, God, that as we live in that tension of hope, that we don't run away from it, but we run towards it, God. We run towards you. You're the author and you're the finisher of our faith. And until that day when we see you face to face, we grow closer and closer to you. Living, Lord, the way that you've asked us to live. Help us this season, Lord, to know that you love us, that you care greatly for us, and that you have a plan and purpose for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Well, Merry Christmas to everyone here. I hope that you have heard the message today that the Lord has said over and over again, and that is 2024 may cause your life to be a little disrupted. It may cause you to have to change some things, to change some directions, change some thoughts, get you out of your comfort area, and maybe show up on a university campus with some coffee and a question on a board. Who knows? But I want you to be willing this year and know that God loves you. Amen? Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord God, for the many blessings that you provided in our life, and thank you for the message this morning, Lord God. Thank you, Father God. May it go deep within our souls, O God. May we feel and know, Lord God, the power of a risen Savior, Lord, and may you prepare us, O God, for 2024, Lord, the greatest year of ministry we've ever seen, Father. Thank you, Lord God, for the expectation, Lord God, of souls being saved, not by ones and twos, but by multitudes. Thank you, Lord God, for the expectation, Lord God, of signs and wonders and miracles to confirm the preaching of the word, O God. Thank you, Lord God, for the expectation of souls being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and the glory of the Lord resting in the services, Lord God, not only in Oak Grove, Father God, but at the churches that surround us, Lord, that all, Lord God, may grow and all may know your presence and all may know your power. Thank you, Lord God, for the love of Jesus Christ. And now we pray, Lord God, bless this family, Lord God, as we continue through this Christmas time, God. Give them grace and mercy and love, God, and may they know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The office will be closed Monday and Tuesday. We will be back here Wednesday night to have church. And then, huh? No prayer Tuesday morning, but you have a great time. See you Wednesday night. Next Sunday morning, Sunday school, be back on normal schedule. So God bless you. Have a great day. Amen.